I absolutely love being lost in a completely different universe or time or place through literature. There's something genuinely magical about it. It's really pretty damn cool. I found myself there this morning. Um, dreary from the night before. Just awash in a completely different world. And loving every second of it. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is August 30th, and as of today, we have 25,283,968 worldwide cases of COVID-19, with 848,471 deaths. And I got a great show for you this week. That's right. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about familiars again. In Infernal Informant, we have two articles, House Set to Vote on Marijuana Legalization, and with Elon Musk's help, Three Little Pigs Demonstrate Neuralink's Brain Implant. And then, of course, got a little bit of creature feature on the tail end of the show. I'm going to be talking about Ralph Angus McQuarrie, an amazing illustrator and artist. I just picked up a collect, well, I was gifted a collection of his, and uh, I'm going to talk about it for a little bit. So I hope you're okay with it. And if you're not, you can leave. <laughs> you don't have to be here. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining in the live chat. Valeria, it's always great to see you. Joachim, I'm glad we could do this early enough that you could tune in. It's good to see you. Zachary, thanks, man. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for joining. I know life gets in the way. I appreciate you spending some time. Satanic Chris, what's up? Dog, how are you, my dear? Vasiri, good to see you. A lot of you guys I'm going to be seeing in a few hours, I think. Of course, my phone thought I said Siri again. Crazy phone. Uh, Dr. Cindy Ravenmoon, thank you for joining us. Jeff, always good to see you, and it is always a perfect time for bourbon. Always. <laughs> Ruth, how you doing? Uh, Ash, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. And anyone else who jumps in here after the fact. I was planning on having a guest. I don't really know what happened. The guest just didn't show, and so I'm hoping everything's okay. Uh, it could have been a time issue. It could have been an, a variety of issues. I'm hoping everything's okay. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll join me for half the show if he decides to show up. That being said, um, I do have a book club meeting later today. And the book I was talking about in that cold open was We Have Always Lived in This Castle. I saw the film on Netflix. It's no longer on Netflix now. Um, and I thought it was a, a strange, interesting little film. Um, kind of quirky. The book is by Shirley Jackson, of course, House on Haunted Hill. Um, wait, Haunting on Hill House, I think is the, <laughs> the phrasing of the book. Anyway, uh, she's a fantastic author. She was a fantastic author. And this book is full of quirkiness, odd storytelling techniques, uh, interesting perspectives, 
uh, in writing from the characters and really immersive. At least it is for me, and I'm really loving it. Um, oh, nice. Well, we're going to be talking about familiars. Uh, how you doing, Aaron? Thanks for joining. Um, and so what I'm really looking forward to is how other people are getting involved in the book or, you know, what they think. So if you haven't joined a book club yet and you're going to be joining for the first time today, welcome. And I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Of course, if any of you want to join the book club, just go to my website, look under um, groups and, uh, you know, you'll see the reading assignments and stuff there. All right. That's it. I don't really have a lot leading into the show, so let's dive in with our familiar talk in The Devil's Advocate. Okay, so I had images for this, but they were based around my guest. And since my guest isn't here, I don't really have images with just me or my pets. So I'm not going to have any image up here. I hope that's all right, everyone. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about familiars because there's a lot of different ways that one can approach this idea, this topic, right? Certainly from uh, a witch historical context, fact or fiction, there is this idea of the familiar which is a sort of accent, uh, someone that helps bestow magical knowledge to you or contributes in some way to your own uh, magical power or just enacts will, you know, uh, on your behalf or amplifies your own. Uh, and certainly for those of us uh, who, one, love animals and two, love the idea of witches and connect the idea of having pets and uh, using them as familiars, I think traditionally, anecdotally, give a little bit more thought to the type of familiar that we want, right? What are the traits in this animal that we appreciate? Uh, is it purely aesthetic? I, <laughs> it's funny, a, a long time ago, I knew a guy who um, uh, really loved the idea of just having this massive, vicious, uh, sort of German Shepherd looking dog as is familiar. And the idea was it would be this uh, powerful symbol of aggression, but control at his side. What he didn't do was a little bit of background research on the actual breed that he was getting. And it turned out to be this massive, fluffy, goofy looking dog, which is hilarious when you think about what he was intending versus what he actually ended up getting. There's a lot of lessons to be uh, pulled out of a situation like that. But I think ultimately it did him more service than disservice to this image he was trying to project because it forced him to accept the animal on the animal's terms rather than his ex expectation of what the animal would be. And then how this goofy creature plays off, this goofy looking creature, plays off this very uh, self-important image that he projected as an individual. It softened him up around the edges. It made him a little bit more palatable to those who perhaps would not have uh, been able to handle, you know, being in his, his presence. And that's something that, you know, in, that, in the tradition 
of the familiar sharing or um, uh, adding their power to yours very much in the same vein a pet does the exact same thing they're going to accentuate who you are by marking up imprinting upon you their own traits their own natures and you're adjusting to it this this bond that you form together between the two of you my first dog was a family dog and uh, he was fantastic. I used to sleep in the doghouse with him. He was my best friend by all measures. I absolutely adored this dog. Um, and as I grew up and moved out of the house and, you know, went to, into the military and, and came back to visit, he, of course, was growing older and, and didn't really recognize me anymore, couldn't play because his joints were hurting and everything. But um, what I learned about the dog is something that I didn't really connect with familiars until I actually had children. And that was that animals are not what you want them to be. Animals are who they are. And you need to meet them on those terms. So growing up, I never thought of owning an animal in the terms of I'm going to learn the quirks of this animal and I'm going to appreciate who this animal is. I come from a background of this dog will do what I say or I will punish him. That's how I was always taught to raise dogs. That's how everyone in my neighborhood raised animals. Um, if the dog barked, you smacked him. If it peed on the rug, you hit it. If it, you know, heaven forbid it ever attack anyone, you kick the shit out of it. You never, in my youth, in, in engaging in animals, try to understand why they're doing those things and try to use positive reinforcement to correct the perceived behavior that you see as negative. And so when I finally uh, had a, a dog with my wife, our first animal, uh, Fenris, a really wonderful shepherd wolf mix, um, we quickly realized that this, was, this dog was much smarter than we were, <laughs> at least in the way that we were approaching dogs. And we could not apply the the, the abusive behavior that we were taught owners should have. And instead, we took uh, a heavy dose of, I'm going to listen to what you're trying to tell me as an animal, and I'm going to try to cater to that. And what ended up uh, was that we had the best animal we've ever owned and the best relationship with any animal that either of us have ever had. Uh, a really beautiful relationship of, he knew the time of day that I would be coming home, so he would be waiting at the windows until he saw the car pull up, and then he started freaking out and jumping around and whining and barking and wagging his tail, and as soon as I came in, it was just, bam, I love you, I love you, I love you. Wonderful relationship. And, you know, we never, we never did those things that I was always taught of smacking dogs around or, or kicking them, uh, and it's something that you really have to take into consideration. Um, it, 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 the same reason why I never really hit my kids at all, because I don't, I don't want them to be imprinted with abuse when instead we can understand why they're behaving the, the way they are and then address that root cause instead of just smacking them and saying, I said so, so do it like I was raised. Uh, and so once you start realizing the animals are their own beings and have their own personality traits and can enrich your experience in life by being a part of it, then you have to start deciding um, 
what type of creature do I really want to have as a part of my life? So I have friends who have snakes or lizards or um, bugs. Oh, <laughs> I don't understand it. But, you know, whatever. That's what they want to connect with. Um, I have friends with spiders and... Um, uh, uh, I already said snakes, but like cats and everything like that, like birds and, you know, uh, ferrets and stuff. Animals that I would have no personal connection with, but I actually love the idea that they do. And it tells me a little bit about them, stories about them that they would never reveal on their own, but stories that I inherently understand because they chose a specific type of animal. And you can then see them engage with that animal and learn even more about who they are as a person. So not only is it enriching to you as an individual uh, owner of these animals, and ultimately I continue using the word owner because you are the one providing primary care for these. And so I don't really see myself as owning my kids because my kids ultimately get to a point of being adults and moving on. So up until that point, you know, I'm caring for them, but then they're going to move on and be their own masters. Animals don't ever get that opportunity if they're in a pet environment because they're always under your care. And so that's why I'm, I'm still okay with the idea of calling them uh, or of, of claiming ownership. Um, so that being said, I, I appreciate that you can discern a little bit through lesser magic just by watching or, or hearing about how other people engage with their animals. You get a little inside scoop on the psyche of the individual owner, right? Which I think is kind of interesting. Um, but then there's actually physical benefits to all this, right? So you have your aesthetic ideas of I want to be represented with this type of an animal because I like what it says about me from a lesser magic perspective from the outside looking in. Then um, there's those who just want to rescue animals because they had some quirky connection with them, maybe when they went to the shelter or it was a stray and they just ended up owning it. Um, or they just wanted to take care of it because they felt some urge to care for something in that way. There's a lot of reasons it's not always a shallow, lesser magic. Um, and But regardless of how you come to own an animal, regardless of how you meet the animal on its own terms, there are actual, real, tangible benefits that you both are going to be sharing together. And, and one thing that I love about this is it forces you to step outside of yourself. Right. So and this, you know, it's going to vary per individual Satanist. But typically, I think one can say that we are very selfish beings. <laughs> humans in general, maybe Satanists a little bit more than most humans. We're much more concerned about ourselves and our own advancement and growth than we are virtually anything else in this world. But when you bring in a familiar to the game, well, now it's not just all about you. Now you're actively thinking about someone else. And that can be a good thing. And sometimes it can be a bad thing because it's going to lead ultimately to sorrow and pain because humans live longer than most animals that you're going to adopt as a pet, right? And that's something that you have to deal with, that it's part of life and it helps you grow having that experience, but it doesn't take the edge off it when you're experiencing that loss, right? Because you built up such this, this such a powerful bond between the two of you. So some of the um, benefits of owning uh, animals 
they're documented in many different places. I'm taking some uh, here from petsforvets.com and from North America covetrous.com, which is ultimately taking information from nps.gov. Um, and it's really focused around benefits of companion animals. Um, so individuals with strong rewarding social connections are happier with fewer health problems and they actually live longer than those who don't have pets. I think that's interesting. If you want to celebrate your life knowing that this is the only one we have, then you need to take a long, hard look at how you can extend that life so that you can enjoy it in the most, uh, in the greatest possible way. Part of that is finding connection and love, I think, in life, and you can do that with animals. Um, different type of love <laughs> than with other humans. Put a point on that. Don't be a freak. Um, you find uh, the use of technology as a familiar to be quite practical. The car you drive, the phone you choose, the camera you walk around with, etc. Although tech can only amplify, not add energy. See, that's why I would say that um, I would never consider anything other than living creatures a true familiar. Because there, unless AI, you know, really advances, there's the back and forth that is integral to that. That tactile sensation of holding or petting or grooming or caring or feeding, you know, um, or playing games. Like there's something genuine there that you don't get with uh, your digital device, whether that's a vehicle or not. Um, uh, oh, I don't want to miss this. You, someone said, okay, so of course the cat jumps on the computer right after the familiar part begins. Timing is everything. I think Jeff said something about the animal choosing you there's some mythology out there concerning familiars choosing their magicians rather than the other way around. You find that to be mostly true of pets as well. See, that's interesting because if, if you are, I think it really depends on how you approach finding a familiar, right? If you're going to a shelter and you're, you're open to just a connection between you and another animal, then I definitely think that interplay at that first sight interplay is going to play a large role in it. But if you came in in your own type of mind, like I want this type of an animal, if the shelter has it, I'm going to adopt it. If it doesn't, then I won't. I think it's a much more narrow opportunity and it can lead to having negative experiences because you may not have a good uh, connection with that animal because you're choosing it based solely off of breed or solely off of aesthetics, which can be good, can be bad. But ultimately, I think it's an interesting idea that, and that's ultimately why most shelters are going to ask you to spend time with the animal. And if you have other dogs or other cats, to bring them in and have them engaged to see if it's a good fit or not. Uh, and in that way, I definitely think the animal plays a large role ultimately, because it's not just them on display and you pointing through a window saying, I want that one. It's them then choosing you. And I love that part of it. But again, if you're coming in from a breed or aesthetic standpoint, you're not even open to that initially. I, I, I don't see that there's anything inherently wrong with breeders as long as they're taking care of the animals. But that is ultimately something that people kind of shit on the idea of breeders because they're breeding a product, which is the animal, but they see it as a product um, traditionally. I mean, there's, there's good breeders out there and they just want to offload that product to anyone who wants that type of a product. 
Um, and so rather than seeing it as an individual creature, they're seeing it as a commodity that they're trying to offload. Um, that's why you have so many animals in shelters or strays. That's part of the problem. So I would always make an earnest request for anyone thinking about finding a familiar to go to your local shelter. Go to the shelters around your area. Drive a little bit. Spend some time. Think about the type of animal that you want to bring in. Because again, it's not an accessory. It's a living being that you're going to have to understand its quirks. You're going to have to understand its consciousness. And you're going to have to take care of its health and welfare for the duration of its life. So take genuine consideration. But again, let's get back to some of the benefits here, right? Pets never judge. I don't know about that. <laughs> but typically, we're going to do overarching things here. Uh, instead, offering unconditional love, support, and a feeling of safety. Some pets are assholes. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> it's not always the, the owner's fault. Some animals are just dicks. We've all run across them. We all know them on site, and they know us. But... If you're the owner, traditionally, that is true. Unconditional love. That's something that even if I'm having a shit day and I don't want to see anyone, if my dog comes up and just sticks her uh, uh, chin on my lap and just stares up at me, I just like melt into this ooze. <laughs> like, okay, uh, you know, for this moment, everything that was holding me back is now gone and I'm just going to focus on that. Um, if it's a cat and they just come over and just rub their body against you, that's an immediate sensation that I don't even like cats because I'm allergic to them, but I love it when that happens because it's a sign of connection and there's something genuinely good about connecting. Sometimes you just don't want to connect with another human being because maybe there's some baggage or, or, or you just want distance. It's different with an animal. And even though, yes, we are all animals, it is different. Uh, for the animals, having a routine and having a human they trust gives them a sense of belonging and security that they might not have had before. Again, taking the animal as an independent creature into consideration, think about what you're actually doing for that. You're giving it a life that it may not have had, a sense of care that it may not have had. This is why I get so frustrated, and I'm, I'm passing judgments here, but if this is what you do, uh, you know, do, do your thing. Um, I don't like people who just lock up their animals outside and just leave them in a pen, right? I grew up, that's how my parents did it, and they did it because they, my mom didn't want pee or shit on the floor. She didn't want to take time to train the animal. Um, for me, my animals all live in my house, sometimes even my chickens because they break in, not intentionally, <laughs> but they do. Um, but that's how I, I wouldn't have it any other way, right? You coexist with these creatures. You care for them. You take them to the doctor, the vet. You uh, feed them every single day. They reward you with some other benefits I'm going to be getting into. Why wouldn't you want to have them a part of your life? in an intimate way, not, not sexual or anything, but just, you know, holding them and, you know, having a dog laying on the floor and then just laying your head on them. I, something I've been doing since I was a little boy. It's just the best feeling ever feeling, you know, them looking down at you, knowing you're there and then just breathing in your head as a little kid rising and falling to this big animal's body. It's, I don't know. There's something really cool about it. And I really dig it. Um, when putting, uh, I'm sorry, when petting an animal, the hormone oxytocin is released, I hope I said that right, uh, into the brain of both the human and the animal, creating a sense of calm, 
regulating breathing, and lowering blood pressure and pulse rate. Health is further improved through shared physical activities such as walks, hikes, runs, and playing games like fetch. So this is the other part of it, is not just to own an animal and then just let them run around and have their own existence around you, but to engage with the animal. That's where they really come alive. I've told this story a billion times, so you guys are probably sick of hearing it, but for the sake of those who haven't yet, when we first um, got our dog Minnie, she was a rescue dog, she was abused, and it took her a long time to ever show any type of affection towards us in general, but specifically me, she didn't like guys at all. Um, that being said, as soon as we started taking her out hiking, and she's a little shih tzu, so it's not like she's, you know, built for long hikes. She immediately came alive and just found this new sense of life that she never had before. And just exposing them to the environment that they have never been in before, which is strange because they're animals, but again, the breed is typically a lap dog, um, never been in before. And then seeing them fight through their own trauma, work through their own hangups, in this new environment with you as the owner engaging with them along the way, it creates this whole different dichotomy, this whole different bond that you would not have had. It's very, and again, it's for your health too. Um, and then ultimately it saves animal lives. Each year in the US, over 6.5 million animals enter shelters and approximately 1.5 million are euthanized. So I'm not going out on a limb and saying anyone should give a fuck about any random animal getting euthanized or dying in the streets. Um, I don't care about them all. I can't expect anyone else to. But if you're going to get an animal, I just want to reiterate this, consider shelters first. Um, these are animals that are probably not going to be puppies right from a breeder, but they are going to be animals in desperate need of help and love and affection. And presumably, you're looking for a familiar for some of those reasons as well. So why not see if a match can be made? Let the animal choose you at the shelter, right? Um, and then another part of this is that if we accept that we, our animals, no better than sometimes or more often worse than those who walk on all fours, right? Then we have to accept that they are an integral part of our world if we're a part of that, right? If we count ourselves among them. Hence, it just makes sense to me if you have an opportunity to improve your uh, psychology, your emotional connection with other creatures, to help another animal in the process of helping yourself and to open up new aspects of life for yourself, why would you not want to do that? I think it's uh, fantastic. There's you know, some of the psychological benefits um, noted by NPS.gov, and I have links in my show notes here after the fact that will be posted tomorrow for those of you who want to explore this uh, further. Um, psychological benefits include reducing depression, warding off loneliness by providing companionship, increasing the need to take or maintain responsibility for yourself, lowering the incidence of psychological disease, lessening the need for medication and providing a sense of purpose. And there's a beautiful film, I think it's still on Netflix, called Afterlife. It's by Ricky Gervais. And there's this, the premise of the show is that Ricky Gervais's character lost his wife um, to, uh, I think it was cancer. Um, and the only reason why he hasn't offed himself yet is because he has to feed his dog. That's the sort of jumping off point for the series. And it's the, his intense love and 
concern for this animal that he adopted with his wife and the love that he has for this animal that it gives him purpose to live straight up. It's the only reason why he wants to stick around. I think that's a terrible situation to find yourself in, but if it's the only reason, it's a pretty goddamn good reason. I think it's interesting. So what do you guys have to say? Your cat squints at you in that way when you're doing something stupid. <laughs> your dog audibly groans when he's judging you. However, judgment does not necessarily counter the unconditional love. Yeah, no, not at all. Dogs are so much... <laughs> I, I, I... Dogs... Animals are so much judgier if you actually have a relationship with them. If you're doing something out of, like, unusual to your regular routine, they don't have lesser magic filters... They just react to what you're doing. Like, what the fuck is this going to do? You know? And it's kind of cool to get that unfiltered view from a fellow animal. Um, oh, uh, what do you want to know, Jeff? Okay, so can you talk about livestock in relation to this topic? This is interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I've owned chickens for years now. Um, livestock is... is it's very much the same way for me. I, you know, my, my father-in-law uh, owns a ranch, and so there's a lot of animals uh, on that ranch that, you know, he takes care of. Um, I grew up in more of a rural community, so the idea of keeping animals for food or hunting for food is a regular notion in my mind. It's just a normal thing. It's what humans have always done, literally, from the beginning of human beings. Um, and so it just makes sense that you would want to take care of them and not abuse them because ultimately you're going to be consuming these animals. And whether it's true or not, I don't have any studies at my fingertips for this, I genuinely believe that the healthier and happier animals are in life, the better their, uh, this is kind of a crude way of saying it, their meat, their carcasses, their bodies, whatever they produce, eggs in the case of chickens, the better it's going to ultimately be. They're going to have, for chickens, they're going to lay regularly, uh, lay eggs regularly because they're healthy and happy and taken care of. Um, the eggs are going to be the maximum possible size for their breed. And it's just, it's a healthier way in, you know, in my mind of taking care of animals. When you look at some ranchers that just have mass amounts of livestock, they're doing it because they want to turn a profit. That's their job, essentially. And so you have chickens in massive cages or massive pens that don't ever really get a move anywhere because they're fulfilling a corporate need, right? They have to produce X quantity in X amount of time in order to get paid. It's not the same thing in that context. And I think in the world we live in, here's the other thing. I don't, I don't think life is sacred, okay? And I want to make sure that's clear. So, though I love my pets, I have chosen to love them. I give a fuck about the dog next door. I wouldn't go out of my way to hurt the dog next door. But if it got hit by a car, I, I don't really care that much. You know, in the moment, I'd be like, oh, that sucks. But I don't think life is precious. And so, I don't think life is sacred. So, I, I don't really care that much. And so, when it comes to meeting a need for society, I understand that... The way that we've built our, the structured our society, there is a need that is being fulfilled by mass livestock. Uh, I don't even know how you would call it, how it's the, the, the animal food industry 
there's a need for it. There are human mouths to feed, and this is the way that our universe, our, our society has decided to feed them. Uh, and so I'm not going to cast a, a good or bad dispersion on that because I'm a realist. That's the way it is. So we just have to deal with it or change it. Those are your two options. Um, and for me, factory farming, thank you, Amber. I deal with it. I understand it is negative and it is bad, but I tell you what, I love getting a steak and putting it on the grill. Now, it's a little hypocritical for me to say that because I get my meat from my father-in-law and I know he has very small farm with very few animals and they're taken care of. And so I'm kind of, you know, sitting in my fucking, on my high horse during the conversation. But people have to be able to eat and factory farming allows them to eat. So, uh, I don't think I, <laughs> it's, it's tough to admit, but I don't think, um, every animal is special. I think my animals are special, right? Because of the relationship that I have with them. If I was forced to walk through factory farming and engage with them on a daily basis, I would probably feel differently about it. I, and I guarantee I probably would, but I don't. So I don't. The reality of where I live, it's focused on very few animals with a very intimate connection of care and love. And so it means a lot, you know? Um, <laughs> makes no sense to you. It's, it's a rough conversation, ultimately, because I do think that there's more that we as a human species can do to care for the other species on this planet and i think there's actually individual reasons why we should consider doing that um but that's a little bit outside of the context of this discussion so i'm not going to really go into any of that now but familiars are good for your life it's good for the familiar's life it provides physical and emotional psychological benefits to having them around and you get to play with a little bit of witchy ideas of having a familiar and there's not a goddamn thing wrong with that. <laughs> so that's it for this uh, segment. That went a little bit long, I think. But it was fun. I hope you guys had fun. I'm going to have to look through all your comments in the chat room because I did not catch them all. Sorry. Let's do a little Infernal Informant. Okay, I've got an image for this one, so let me throw it up really quick. Okay, House set to vote on marijuana legalization. This is from Politico.com. The House will vote on legalizing marijuana next month. States will still have to vote to legalize the drug. Marijuana is already legal in 11 states. The MORE Act will remove cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act and erase some cannabis criminal records. Neither Chamber of Congress has ever voted on removing marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act before. Quote, a floor vote on the bill would be the greatest federal cannabis reform accomplishment in over 50 years, says Randall Mayer of the Global Alliance for Cannabis Commerce. 
a little bit of background. Cannabis is currently a Schedule One drug under the Controlled Substances Act, which is signed into law in 1970. Drugs that are classified as Schedule One are defined as having a high potential for abuse and no medical benefit. If you know anything about marijuana, you know that it has massive amounts of medical benefit, and it's been prevented from being studied because it is classified as uh, Schedule One. The bill, H.R. 3884, was introduced to House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler last fall and passed the House Judiciary Committee by a vote of 24 to 10 in November. Reps Matt Gates and Tom McClintock were the only Republicans in the committee to vote for the bill. Quote, of course, I intend to vote yes on the bill, McClintock said on Friday. With respect to timing, I do find it ironic that the only small businesses the Democrats seem to be worried about is cannabis shops. But I would support the bill, whatever it is brought to a vote. That's an absurd idea because <laughs> it doesn't just help the business owner by legalizing marijuana. It actually helps anyone with conditions that marijuana benefits. So it's, it's much larger than just this small business, but um, your attempt to minimize it is noted, dickface. Uh, does this mean cannabis will be legal? No. No, it won't. The odds of the bill passing in the Senate are still very slim, giving the opposition of Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. The bill's lead sponsor in the Senate is Senator Kamala Harris, the Democratic nominee for vice president. Okay, so my history with marijuana is that I was introduced to it when I was in high school. And I smoked it a lot then. Um, I stopped because I was in the military and college and career. And then I started getting into it a little bit more uh, recently, more edibles and stuff. Um, and I find that it actually helps me cope with anxiety. It helps me sleep when I need to sleep. And I think it is a net positive for anyone in their life. That being said, the idea of the typical stoner those are usually just kids, grown-ups, uh, professionals, adults. Uh, don't just abuse it to get high most cases. Um, there's actually a reason medically for its use, which is why I think it is so important that it is legalized everywhere. Now, I do want to say really quick, because whenever a, a Satanist comes out and says anything about any um, drugs, there is always that knee-jerk reaction of anyone saying, well, that's, that's not satanic, or, or that's against the, the Church of Satan. And I have to say, the Church of Satan has a very firm stance on supporting no illegal activity, including illegal drugs. Why would a business have any other stance? Why would any business support illegal activity? So, from the organization standpoint, illegal drugs are a big no-no, of course, but we are individual Satanists who live in different regions where it is legal in some regions and in some regions it is not. So if you partake responsibly as an adult, that is your choice. It doesn't make you any less of a Satanist. It just makes you an individual, which is what Satanism is all about in the first place. So I want to say that. Anyone who abuses drugs, whether it's alcohol, a legal or illegal substance, well, of course there's a problem with that. You need to look inside and see why you're abusing it. But the individual drug itself, I don't think is a net negative. And I feel the same way about psychedelics. So if you're going to shit on me for weed, I got some more stuff you can pile onto it. I'm a big proponent of shrooms and LSD. <laughs> Go places where it's not illegal. And accept individual responsibility. 
that being said, <laughs> what do you guys have to say? Um, such a weird hill to die on if Republicans wanted to guarantee Trump's reelection. Let him be the president who signed this bill into law. It won't, and uh, they won't, and it's a bad strategy. Yeah, I mean, it's the, here's the thing. It just makes sense. It's a huge industry to make money off of and to tax as a federal government. I mean, all of your corporate buddies would love it. All of the small businesses would love it. The citizens would love it. It makes perfect sense, which is why it doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't. Um... Oh, black screen. I hope. Let me know. Let me know if I'm having issues uh, with my video, guys. Uh, cured your insomnia. Uh, that's nice. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't like the social use of it either. Because what do you do? Like you just sit around and watch a movie? <laughs> like I don't know. I'd rather, if I'm going to engage socially, I'd rather be engaged with that other person. You know, able to to hold conversations and or go do something together i, I don't i wouldn't really want to just like lay on a couch catatonic this doesn't sound fun to me um oh yeah nervous system disorder that would help with pain absolutely and it would cut down on the opiate um problem that we have right now in in america anyway uh psychedelics helped your depression yeah I, psychedelics are a net benefit i mean lsd that's why it was created to help with um depression and personality disorder and uh just mental hang-ups that people were having and it was a uh i believe it was a psychiatrist that a science scientist psychiatrist that started doing it but anyway that's a different conversation so as far as this vote goes i don't think they'll pass it um but it is something to be said that if you want it to pass there is one party more than one party, but one party in a position of authority to pass it that is able to do that, and one party that is actively opposing it. If you care about that, that may be a reason to choose one side over another. Um, again, that's only one small thing, so look at every other issue that you care about before just jumping on one issue bandwagon. Um, let's do this next article here, because I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation. If I can find my image... With Elon Musk's help, three little pigs demonstrate Neuralink's brain implant. Uh, with grudging assistance from a trio of pigs, Neuralink co-founder Elon Musk showed off the startup's state-of-the-art neuron-reading brain implant and announced that the system has received the Food and Drug Administration's preliminary blessing as an experimental medical device. Neuralink's team plans to place the implant in people's initially to see if those who have become paralyzed due to spinal cord injuries can regain motor functions through thought alone. Musk said the implant received a breakthrough device designation from the FDA last month. That doesn't yet clear the way for human clinical trials, but it does put Neuralink on the fast track for consultation with the FDA's experts during pre uh, preparations for such trials. Neuralink has received more than $150 million in funding, with roughly two-thirds of that support coming from Musk himself. Musk has said the purpose of the demonstration with the three pigs was to recruit more applicants. The brain-computer interfaces have been the stuff of science fiction for decades, and in a sense, they already exist in the form of neuron-reading electrode grids. But Musk and his Neuralink team are aimed to create easily implantable wireless devices that, theoretically, could be used to give full sight to the blind and make it possible for people to communicate thoughts directly. 
Over the long term, Musk said the system could help people store and replay their memories, upload their minds and download them back into robotic bodies or uh, merge their consciousness with AI agents. Quote, this is obviously sounding increasingly like a Black Mirror episode, he said, but, well, I guess they're pretty good at predicting. The future is going to be weird. Neuralink's researchers aren't the only ones working on the next generation interfaces. This week, a venture called Synchron announced that its implanted brain-computer interface has also received the FDA's breakthrough device designation. Synchron's Stentrode device stimulates the nervous system from the interior of a blood vessel without the need for open brain surgery. It's already being implanted in patients with upper limb paralysis during trials conducted in Australia. Another venture, BrainGate, is developing a brain implant system that has been approved for investigational use in clinical trials. At Seattle's Center for Neurotechnology, which is headquartered at the University of Washington, with funding from the National Science Foundation, researchers are developing technologies aimed at giving rise to brain coprocessors. Quote, these are brain-computer interfaces that use AI to transform information from one region of the brain to stimulate another in order to achieve a goal such as rehabilitation, restoration, or augmentation of brain function. UW neuroscientist Rahesh Rao, the center's co-director, explained in an email to GeekWire. Musk, all of your senses, your sight, hearing, feeling, pain, these are all electrical signals sent by neurons to your brain, he said. And if you can correct these signals, you can solve everything from memory loss to hearing loss, blindness, paralysis, depression, insomnia, extreme pain, seizures, anxiety, addiction, strokes, brain damage. These can all be solved with an implanted neural link. The neurons are like wiring and you kind of need an electric thing to solve an electric problem, he says. There's so much going through my head about this. Um, I've always been someone who has not liked the idea of merging humans with technology. I, I think that is the inevitable progression of human beings, but I don't like the idea of it. And yet we all have our devices, so we're already augmented. It's just whether or not it's in your skin or attached to it from the outside. And so from that aspect, I can't see this as being a negative, especially if it can actually help people who are in pain or in, unable to move because of an accident. I mean, how could that be seen as a negative? And so, yes, there's all these sort of dystopian future science fiction horror stories and warnings from scientists and science fiction authors about what could happen, and there's a reason that, that, that uh, the saying is, uh, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intention or something like that. So who knows what could inevitably occur? And I don't know. I, I, when I started watching the, the, the hour-long presentation that uh, they gave, I started the presentation saying, I will never have anything like that done to me, ever. And I ended it going unless that happened to me, and then, yeah, I would want to try it. If I had irreversible nerve damage. Because ultimately, when I first heard about it, I started thinking, well, now they're going to just try to improve every, every uh, seemingly negative defect of the human to create the perfect version of the human. And what the fuck is a perfect version of a human? 
all of our body chemistry varies slightly. Not one of us is the same. Sometimes those variations uh, uh, are realized in uh, forms of physical defects, mental defects. And if those could be corrected, not to conform to some idea of a perfect being, but to be corrected in the best version of you, well, then I don't, as a Satanist, I can't really see that as negative because that's what I'm doing every day anyway. I'm trying to improve on what I naturally am. Well, most people take pills anyway right now, so how is that different? Ooh, sorry, I just got some drop frame rates. I hope I'm back now. Um, and so, you know, it's easy to jump to the extreme, but I'm sure people were freaking out about pills when they were first brought onto the public scene. And you could eliminate the medications, right? You you could actually like live much better than you could with all of the side effects of medication that we have right now. It seems like a net positive to me in that light. What do you guys think? Um, reading a lot of information on... Oh, wait. Sorry, that was drugs. Let's see. Are you guys still talking about... <laughs> if the Matrix becomes reality, you're the first to sign up. I mean... <laughs> Can argue maybe we already are there uh blade runner yeah i mean it is kind of the future if you can cure your brain injury sign you up see that's what i'm saying like it's easy for someone without any real problem um to say that they would never want to do that but the second that you have a situation maybe it's deafness or blindness something that's dramatically affects you but there's no actual outward visible signs of that. Or if it's um, depressed, like there is depression out there where you can't get out of bed, period. Like people like me who deal with depression um, on a very minor level, it only affects me every once in a while. And then, you know, I have my own coping mechanisms that help me get back to a baseline. But there's people who can't get out of bed, who don't feel human emotion because of it. If you could correct that, I mean, it's not changing the person, it's correcting a deficiency in their head. Well, fuck yes. Yes. If you have brain damage because of an accident, why wouldn't you want to correct that? Of course you would. Yes. So ultimately, the reason why I think we're able to live the version of lives that we're living right now uh, globally is because of technology. Our use of technology has always been there to augment our lives. This is just the next step. We already have implants. We already have, you know, people that have technology grafted within them. Um, so it's, it's not a foreign concept. But to open it up this way, knowing that there's multiple corporations working on solutions to these problems, I think uh, I think that's a that's a positive future. That's not a negative, um, and I think it's a little too easy to jump to the the dystopian view of it when you can argue we're in a dystopian future right now. <laughs> so you know maybe I should knock on wood, but how much worse can it get? <laughs> I'll knock on wood. Um, Elon Moore man deserves another viewing. <laughs> yeah, that's the future. Oh, that's funny. 
Uh, you'd be afraid of false memories implanted. See, that's that's a real thing, and that's where you get into Blade Runner territory, where you're not sure if you're real or not. You know, am I? Am am I? If you're merging your consciousness with AI, where do you begin and the AI then ends? Right. So that's a real consideration. That and and the, I think that's why you, as an individual, would need to weigh the pros and cons for sure. And understand that those first trial people are, are probably not going to have the best product. <laughs> but that's why versions come out. And I think it's going to be an interesting future for humans. Um, I'm not sure how far I would want to go with um, connecting myself. Well, and here's the other side of this. You know, we, we look at technology as metals, as, you know, foreign elements than the biological machines that we actually are. But we're not that dissimilar. Um, we are machines. We run off electrical impulses like machines. We are biological machines, but we are machines. And so, you know, a different form factor, but not so different in end result, uh, I think is what we're going to end up discovering. Uh, memory is a tricky thing. Most of our memories right now are false. That's a very good fucking point. I reflect on memories from when I was a child, and when I talk about them with my family, they have a different view on it. Just, you know, a half a dozen years ago, um, I was talking with friends about some experiences we had as kids, and we all saw it in different ways. So if even our memories are faulty, I guess the question would be, do you want to know the truth about how things actually were? when you experience them, or would you rather the narrative that you created? There's a reason I think that we create the narratives we do. Sometimes it's to protect because we just can't cope. Sometimes, you know, if truth is painful, then I wouldn't want to know it. I, there is always going to be a level of um, naivety. Uh, naivete is, is preferable in certain situations, right? Especially like about abuse. If, if it came out that I was, oh man, I'm getting problems with my video and I'm not sure why. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, hopefully this is going to end up working. I guess we'll just cut the conversation off there and uh, it's going to be an interesting future and I can't wait for it. <laughs> hopefully I'm... Hopefully this, this stream didn't just shit the bed on me. Let's do a little creature feature. All right, I'm throwing up a whole slideshow images for this one. This is where I am going to just geek out for a second. And I, if you don't want to be a part of this, I understand it. So thanks for joining. <laughs> if you do, let's geek out a little bit. I want to celebrate a man named uh, Ralph Angus McQuarrie. Uh, he was born June 13, 1929, and he died March 3rd, 2012. He is an American conceptual designer and illustrator. And this is something that I think is integral to any... Um, film 
that you need someone to be able to create the vision for what you are attempting to create. Uh, and as a designer in the advertising industry, we use illustrators and actual artists less and less because of the prevalence of stock photography and the fact that um, 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 clients just don't want to spend money on original artwork anymore. And so this is an industry that is sort of forced into the video game or the film world. And even then, I don't know how strong a support they actually have, but it is some of the best, in my opinion, of human expression is, is being able to create out of your own imagination realistic visions from someone else's or your own mind. That, that is something that is truly only human and is truly powerful. Uh, it is creation. It is being a god. You are creating something out of nothing that hasn't existed before. Um, and so when you run across artists like Ralph McQuarrie, who are just so brilliant, you have to sort of stop and take stock about it. So uh, I had a birthday a couple weeks back, and my wife bought me this collection of Ralph McQuarrie artwork from his work on Star Wars, the first film specifically. Um, I just, I loved the science fiction world that he created um, after his conversations um, and reading George Lucas's screen uh, screenplay. Um, and so it was just so stunning to see what was for the time a ridiculous premise for a film that no one wanted to fund. And then for Ralph McCord to take it seriously enough to create these stunning images and some of the best of them you're seeing right here scroll past um, that convinced um, uh, investors and studios to want to make this film, Star Wars. But he didn't just work on, uh, oh, sorry, my son just texted me. Um, he didn't just want to work on Star, uh, well, he didn't just work on Star Wars. So in, there's some films and credits here that I was not aware of that I'm blown away. And of course, in retrospect, makes perfect fucking sense um, just for his style. But he worked on, of course, Star Wars. He worked on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He did that Mothership at the very end, which is a brilliant film if you haven't seen it in a while. I want to believe, I love the ideas of aliens visiting Earth. And that film was the most powerful for me as a young man growing up um, with the idea of, of aliens and, and, and aliens visiting humans, you know. Here's another one, Battlestar Galactica. So there's a ship um, that he created for the Empire Strikes Back, the little snow skiffs. Um, it, it's almost the exact same ship from Battlestar Galactica when I was a kid. So I would sit with my stepdad watching Battlestar Galactica television show as a kid, playing with my Star Wars toy because it looked exactly like the one on the screen. So of course he he made both. Like it just it makes perfect sense. But I never understood why they would allow someone to copy it so closely. It's because it was the same damn artist. That's why. Um, <laughs> he, he was involved in the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> so. We may want to skip that one. Of course, Empire Strikes Back. He also did Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. That is an amazing film. Amazing. Amazing film. Uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial, of course. Um, you can see that he's just palling around with Spielberg and, and Lucas. 
he did, of course, he came back for Return of the Jedi. He actually left Return of the Jedi halfway through, feeling burnt out like he couldn't keep going, um, and ultimately decided to come back because he didn't want another illustrator coming to finish something that he had really started, you know, from the original Star Wars. Um, Cocoon, and he actually won an award for his visual art work in Cocoon. Uh, he did Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. He did Batteries Not Included. I don't know if any of you guys know that little gem, but that was a great film when I was a kid. I loved it. He worked on, this one's going to touch a lot of you guys, Nightbreed. I didn't know that. He was a conceptual artist for Nightbreed. If you're a Clive Barker fan, that's pretty cool. And Back to the Future of the Ride, he did a, a conceptual artist, though he was never credited for that. Um, so the, again, these are some of the most memorable Star Wars uh, artwork pieces he did. But I think it's interesting every once in a while to reflect on some of those people that had behind-the-scenes roles or lesser-known roles in some of the uh, films or novels or even you know extended out to video games that we influenced us so much about how we perceive the world, um, how, you know, th the stories that we just connect with because of the time or the, the story or the characters or whatever, or the artwork. Um, and he's one of those. I, you know, one of my great memories about this show is talking to artists specifically. So whether it's a sculptor or a traditional artist or a, a writer, those are the people that I really want to just hold up on a pedestal because that's, for me, the greatest part of being a human is in creation, is in imagining, is in creating something that did not exist before. Um, and so I love that human expression and I love to celebrate it. So thank you, Ralph McQuarrie, for doing everything that you have and you are missed because you're fucking brilliant. All right, what do you guys have to say about this? Uh, my video quality is low. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. Sorry guys. Digital art is great, but he was doing all of this with hand painting. So it was pretty awesome. Visual arts is something that you're just not programmed for, which leads to an appreciation for the talent and discipline it takes to create something truly magnificent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jeff, what, you mean the greatest movie in the whole franchise? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, all right, well, that's it for the show, everyone. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm like sweating here out under these damn lights. Uh, I hope you appreciated it. And, um, you know, let me know if you like what I'm doing by subscribing to the YouTube channel, signing up to the email list if you want to find out what we're going to be doing and talking about and who I'm going to be doing it with. And uh, I guess that's it. Oh, if you get this in a podcast form uh, after the fact, do me a solid and give me a rating or review. It lets other people know that the show's worthwhile. And that's really it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And until next week, hail Satan. <laughs>